Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello big interview listeners, this is producer Martin here and welcome to the second part of our preview show ahead of our 100th guest. At the time of recording this behind the scenes episode with myself, Graham and Neil, we actually did not know who the 100th guest would be. We wanted to pull out all the stops to make it a really memorable one and we are delighted to say that we welcomed Rio Ferdinand onto the show as our 100th guest. That two-part interview will be out on Thursday and Friday of this week. That's the 23rd and 24th of July. Meantime, I hope you enjoy this show. And finally, just a note about the sound. Graham's sound quality is not up to our usual standards on this one, particularly in the first 10 or 15 minutes. This was recorded in the middle of lockdown and we had a couple of technical issues, so please forgive us on that one. We think it still sounds okay, so hopefully it won't take away from your enjoyment. So please sit back and enjoy the second part of this preview episode ahead of our 100th big interview guest, Rio Ferdinand. Locations. Let's talk a little bit about locations in big interviews because that's something that we do think about quite a lot. So where are the interesting locations we've been to? So Damien Duff, we interviewed him at Lansdowne Road, which was fantastic. We had this executive box overlooking the ground. Brilliant. Chris Sutton, we did at Carroll Road. (laughs) Pat Nevin, we very appropriately met him in this kind of little cavernous indie nightclub on the first floor of of uh, an Edinburgh venue uh, down a little lane remember that game it was it was quite bizarre but very Pat Nevin and he, he kind of walked in and went yeah yeah I'm having this I'm having this so that was great Robert Snodgrass who we interviewed three or four months ago we interviewed him on the top floor of a skyscraper at Canary Wharf a lot of the the reason for that is just that we're trying to think about locations where the guests are going to feel comfortable and which will maybe spark stories about them because I remember Damien Duff immediately talking about his history with Lansdowne Road and all that sort of stuff. That's all part of getting these guys into the right mindset. If we're talking locations, I'll just throw in Ramon Calderon as well because that was that was perfect. This kind of like shaded, very old-fashioned um, sort of lawyer's office in Madrid where kind of he sat and gave us chapter and verse on his time running Real Madrid. And it was really about politics and deal-making. And it was just perfect. It was perfect setting, you know. And he was he was in kind of Don, Quixote, Don Corleone mode, um, both in attire and and his stories. 
and it all seemed to fit together nicely with sort of the the sunlight creeping through the 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 shuttered blinds. Uh, all right, can I can I throw throw one in because you got a recording studio for me to do in the first interview that neither of you could attend, and we were in this. I forget whether recording. I know I know who owned it, but I forget whether recording studio was. And guys, got I kind of knew and I liked, but I was hopeful that he'd understand. You know, my, my speed of dialogue when I get a little bit excitable and that we talk about the right things and that it would be fun and all. As 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 I'm waiting to to locate him because you both talked about like you get the you, you give. The, the guest the, the location you wait outside I get probably more jumpy than the three of us about you know has everything been done right and I'm waiting for guys to get and the phone goes and it's Russell Brand and we'd had I remember an email which you forwarded to me from Russell Brand's tour manager while he was in Australia saying yeah, Russell's a fan of the series and yeah, he was thinking and it was never quite a he'd like to come on but it was like he's a fan of the series and he'd like to be in touch you know? and he phoned up just as guys was waiting for guys and, and chatted away for 15 minutes about how it was really important to have dialogue like this about football and how he enjoyed it and why he enjoyed it and we're just absolutely shooting the shit like not like me going knocking knees because it's Russell Brand I wonder if I could get him on nor me going oh, please say another nice thing Mr Comedian we just get into chatting as if we've done this 20 times before and it's like aye well one of the things we wanted to do well what I hear is and and, I'm like, and I had to go to him at one stage well, I've, I've got to go now guys because here alright mate see you later <laughs> I mean, the number of bizarre things that happen. I don't know. If, I don't know if you two feel the same, but my life is just, just a vegetable soup chock full of bizarrity. On the subject of bizarrity, here's the, the final thought from Social Robert. He says, "The whole of the Sven Goran Eriksson interview was a joy, and placed someone who I knew largely for his tabloid love life choices into a different light, uh, which is great to hear because that's obviously what." what we seek to do with these interviews but you know that that was another epic trip for for you guys tell us a little bit about you about this incredible trip to the to the wilds of sweden to meet sven goran Eriksson. neil just get into ryan gosling mode and tell the truth about being the driver <laughs> the only way you can get to sven goran Eriksson's house is by flying to oslo and driving across the norway sweden border and then driving a little bit further to get to um, to get to the particular place of of uh, Sweden where where Sven lives, and we so Graham comes from Barcelona for all these interviews, and these days it's usually either Martin or I, sometimes both of us, but not so many, so not so often as was the case um, in the early days of the podcast. So Graham's from Barcelona, I'm coming from I think Edinburgh Airport, and we meet at Oslo on an evening. So darkness falls by the time we get our hire car and we drive what we were promised was a very scenic drive across across Scandinavia. Couldn't see nothing. Um, was on the wrong side of the road as far as I was concerned. And kind of trying to hold, you know, trying to hold my shit together, if, if I'm honest. And I selected a, a becoming playlist that we were that we were rocking out to. And I was just trying to focus, you know, just trying to focus. And just to kind of around about the border, we, we come into a, a police roadblock. So we get waved over the side of the road. And these two, these two, you know, burly policemen are on, are on my left-hand side. So I'm in the left-hand, I'm in the left-hand drive car, on the left-hand side of the car. These guys are up my window. And I've been concentrating so much on driving this automatic wrong side of the road vehicle. I hadn't ever given any thought to how you open the windows and I can do it 
There's no rolly handle. I've no idea where the control for the window is. And these guys are wanting to speak to me for reasons. At this point, the, the bonnet goes up, the boot goes up, the nose goes down, the exhaust pipe trebles. He's got one more button to press and I'm sure the ejector seat's going and I'm out the top of the room. <laughs> so darkness might have fallen by the time we got to the higher car, but a darkness in our soul took over before we shook the cops off. And and I just remember being told that I was, I don't know what they call, wingman or autopilot, whoever sits in the second seat. It, it was magnificent because it was left, 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 left. Right 200, root takes you know, Queen's Pawn, it was absolutely, it was rally driving of the highest order. I'll tell you something though, when we, when we get to, when we get to, to Suna, that was one of the, that was one of the, I mean, generally, there's such a wide variety of like, um, environments where you meet the guests because the guys that are still playing, we're really in football club media mode where we're meeting a press officer and then we're usually in the room setting up first and then the guys will come in and time is fairly regimented. And then Sven is probably the best example of somebody at completely the other end of the spectrum. There was us and two other um, journalists who were interviewing him. And we all got there on the same evening. The work was happening the next day and Sven took us all out to to dinner near his place. And then he just sort of arranged this B&B for us all to stay in. And then we met him again the next day for the, for the work. And it was all so um, social and informal almost. It was a wonderful experience. He was a great guy. And then the following morning, the, the breakfast is served to us by two of the nicest people you could ever possibly meet. And they're both in their sort of 80s, I think. The owner was relatively normal, but the owneress turned up in a kind of sort of Tommy Cooper fez. And I don't know if it's a caftan or a moo-moo. And makes us sign in, in in joined up writing and all kinds. Of, it was very, it was extremely different. And the two things that will come away from me from that trip would probably be a relatively low-key delivery of the line, are you happy with your choice of lane? And then after that beautiful interview from Sven, what was the name of the dog? Oh, I can't remember. The dog the dog was absolutely beautiful and taking a shine to Neil while we were inside sipping on the ginger tea as Sven is, is literally trying to ejaculate us from the house because he cannot get us out, even though he's got interviews queuing up for him because we're so in love with his story and his lifestyle and his his um, house which once hold, held Sweden's first ever Nobel Prize winner for literature and the dog bounds to the door and, and Neil kind of goes here Clemmy, here Clemmy and Sven just looks up and goes I don't think he's going to come with you and that's the best sign off line we've ever had from any guest <laughs> on, la- on Lake on Lake Freakin and if anybody's unaware of, of what we found out, it's, it's often a guest of when we go into their home and we've had guests with security guards outside their home. The one guest with a sort of James Bond uh, swimming pool that had a football pitch over it. You press a button, the football pitch retracts and there's a swimming pool underneath. And that was, you know, that was tremendously Sean Connery. But with, with Sven... Uh, do you want to see the backyard? I'll go and see the backyard. There's this beautiful rolling green sort of flushing meadow style grass all the way down to the banks of the gigantic and beautiful Lake Fruken with Sven's floating uh, barbecue picnic um, barge that he nicks off out into the middle of the loch in summer on and a summer house. A summer house which is about 30 metres your summer house should be at least out of sight of your main residence and, and 
probably 30 or 300 miles away. But his summer house was 30 metres away, on literally on the banks of Lake Freakin here. So it was quite a short walk, you know, between spring and summer house. And I was like, can we go and have a look at it? And he was like, no, it's occupied at the moment. Who's it occupied by? So Sven Joran Eriksson, this man, as, as Robert pointed out, so misportrayed as either dull or only interested in extracurriculars or whatever, has had a beseeching call from his local church saying we've got these this family of Afghan asylum seekers who have nothing, can't aren't allowed to work, aren't allowed to attend education till they get the papers, have no money, will you put them up and feed them? Yes. And there they were living in his summer house on the banks of his loch, which I found impressive and formed part of a, a picture of a guy who I think over his time has been badly misrepresented and was a, was an extraordinary guest, particularly when he started talking about machine. In terms of crazy trips, I mean, the, the Virgil van Dyke trip to Evian was, was a cracker as well, Graham. Uh, I remember the Liverpool press officer made a, a fatal error. He offered us the choice of interviewing Virgil in Liverpool or Evian. I, I presume he's got a, a wry sense of humour because uh, it was only ever going to be one place, so he immediately tried to, to, to get ourselves to Evian by planes, trains and automobiles, which is actually what it took in the end. We, my memory is we flew to Geneva, the night before, stayed in Geneva, then went down to the, the train station, argued for about an hour and a half with various members of the train staff to, to try and get ourselves up the side of Lake Geneva to Lausanne. Had about another hour and a half argument with the staff there to see how we could get from the train station down to the shore, um, which eventually involved a mad dash because we spent so long trying to get the information out of them. We got this taxi down to the shore, dived out the taxi, and then started running for this ferry, which was, you know, departing as we were were running, leapt aboard, and took the ferry across from Lausanne to Evian. And then from there, it was a taxi up to the most magnificent hotel. Hold, hold on, hold on. Only, only having been ejaculated from first class by that wifey with the ticket machine. Not only was the first Swiss um, ticket information guy giving us false Jean Le Carre information, when we got to the second ticket place at Lausanne, they outright laughed and refunded us about three and a half thousand euros <laughs> because the guy had given us such bum information. And we never even spent a refund on on getting up up top deck. I don't know. We just and she was like, I didn't. Didn't she just kick us out there? It was like, move it, move it, lads. Come on, I'm waiting. It was absolutely brilliant. It was like a Glasgow bus clipping. To be fair, and this is uh, Neil will confirm this. This is this is a classic move of yours, which is just to plant yourself in first class and just see what happens. At that point in the trip, I think I was so pissed off with arguing with the train staff that I just thought, well, I'm just going to. Deposit myself in first class, see what happens, and if I have to fight again, then you know I'll, I'll relish it. And then this this wife came up to me and told me in no uncertain terms to beat it. At which point I disappeared down to lower class. So it was all with a view to reaching this incredible spot, Evian, where we spotted this hotel perched on the edge of the cliff. Like what's that Wes Anderson film, The Grand Budapest Hotel? You could just see it sitting up there. Oh, something like a fairy tale and then we had our audience with Big Virgil the hotel was so big you could see it from seven days away it wasn't a matter of distance you needed a sort of time and space continuum to, to fit its grandeur into what we normally call sight 
And when we got there as well, it was just so lavish. I'm going to use the word topiary. You both warned me not to, but I'm going to go straight for the T word. They put the top in topiary. It was, have your lunch, boys. Not, you'll have had your lunch, boys. Big Virgil wanted to speak longer than he was told to, but he was telling his lunch was out. Otherwise, we'd have had a longer interview. We got in some sort of mad funicular railway down, back down to the to Lake Geneva. Setting sail on Lake Geneva. And I stayed on, go to Liverpool's game against Lyon, back in Geneva. You know, nicking back and forward across Lake Geneva is one of the most deeply peaceful, happy feelings I've had on any of our magnificent trips. Yeah, not because of the luxury, but because I, I just, I get all gooey about Great Lakes, the sea, giant rivers and Lake Geneva and uh, particularly the Evian side. You know, I thought to myself, ooh. I could stay here. Oh, it's fantastic. And that boat, once that boat picks up a bit of speed, it's like Big Virgil himself, eh? Goes at a, goes at a clip. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so moving swiftly on, the next social contribution is from Finlay MacDonald, who says, I really enjoyed the two-part Terry Butcher interview. I obviously was very familiar with his epic Rangers contributions. Uh, first league-winning goal in my memory at Pataudry, he says, exclamation mark. But, but it was fascinating to hear about his early years and his experiences at Ipswich and times on international duty. Gary and Phil Neville, early doors, were also crackers. Benny McCarthy must be up there too. And another socio, Liam Young, picks up on Benny McCarthy to say, my favourite big interview by far has to be with Benny McCarthy. His knowledge and passion for the game oozed throughout the whole chat. Are you surprised he's not succeeded so far as a coach stroke manager? Yeah, Benny, Benny McCarthy was an absolute topper, Graham. I really enjoyed that interview. It was quite bizarre from start to finish. I remember talking about him as a potential guest and then I think you phoned him and 
you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my memory is that he'd actually been listening to the big interview that morning with, I think it was with Craig Gordon. Uh, and he said to you, I've just been listening to your interview with Craig Gordon this morning, who's actually my neighbour. <laughs> It turns out that Benny McCarthy stayed in Edinburgh, uh, which I don't think we knew at that point. So we didn't know he, he knew the podcast existed and we didn't know he stayed in Edinburgh. Uh, and then within probably a week, we were sitting down with him in Edinburgh for a fantastic afternoon. We, we need to start a series if we ever look back on this. Um, the only guest who ever did X. So the only guest who took us to a private box to watch a Champions League match, Michael Carrick, the only guest who began the interview with a butler. And Luca Viali. There'll be others in that category, but no, but Benny's the only one whose interview has ever been inter- interrupted by a swimming gala. Oh, I forgot my daughter's swimming gala, and off he went for about a day and a half while we sat there and waited in Graham Runcie's office in Edinburgh for, for, for Benny's kid to go and win the swimming gala and him to come rushing back. And his the, the nonsense he went into about, I, I forget what nickname he had for Ricky Carvalho. And, and he, he, Mourinho called Ricky Shirley or so I don't know what. And Benny's personality was so opening a box and a Easter bunnies jumping out, being chased by Tigger. Unbelievably noisy and funny and 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 yet he also would would shock us like Ozzy did with the story about his his friends being gunned down in front of his house by gangs. When you began the two of you early on to to try and explain the idea we sometimes go for to to you know if we stop and microscope something, it's equally the case that because of me, sometimes they're give me land, lots of land, and the sunny skies, the starry skies above, don't fence me in. And when the interviews range from hilarity to sometimes really disturbing and shocking incidents, I love that too, uh, because you, you can't get a person's life jammed into an hour, an hour and a half. But I think you can try to, if they want to bring in light and shade, I think it, these interviews are long enough to to encompass that. So when we do achieve it and it works, I like that a lot, and, and Benny was one. Yeah, I mean, I, we, we talked earlier on about setting the atmosphere and get trying to get guests into that flow. Benny was was certainly in his flow that day. He was he was going great. You, do, you don't want to do anything to break that spell when a guest is in that flow. But then suddenly he, he jumps up like a jack-in-the-box and declares that he's forgotten his daughter's swimming gala, like takes his microphone off and says, I'll be back, guys, I'll be back. <laughs> and dashes out and we're all sitting looking at each other thinking oh my god we are never going to see him again so uh, he promises he promises as he's running down the stairs that he's definitely going to come back right and, I, uh, and I'm saying well let's keep in touch you know so I'm texting him throughout the rest of the afternoon and from my memory I'm not really getting many replies so I'm saying to Graham well look <laughs> you know we've got some good stuff anyway so we'll just try and make something of that but suddenly he just appears back in the room like a, an apparition bang he's back and it was almost like the conversation hadn't stopped he came in with the, exactly the same level of enthusiasm that he left with and almost mid-sentence picked it back up again and then proceeded to talk probably for about an hour, hour and a half it was an incredible performance he was just such a lovely human being and a fantastic Auditor. He's got a gigantic personality, and if, if between us the interview and the edit um, managed to get that across to people, and and he was very nearly Hearts manager, and um, when they made their their last appointment, I forget who the Englishman that, that got it in the end is. Benny went through a, a two two and a half hour interview with 
and Budge and whoever else about getting the Hearts job. And um, who knows whether it would have made a difference had they chosen him, but they, they, they patently, given the degree to which they'd researched him above and beyond the CV that he sent them, it, it's evident that he came very close to getting that job. So one day I do think we'll see... Benny as a coach in, in British football I, I genuinely think that's a, a likelihood OK so let's hear from socios Richard Pigden and Richard Cook who both picked out Paul Clement as their favourite big interview here's Richard Cook Richard says congrats on the milestone guys I know a lot of hard work and exhausting travel has gone into each one it's a fantastic podcast but for me the peak is Paul Clement talking about the run up to the Lisbon final where Cristiano must have noticed his feelings in the tunnel and almost told him don't worry I've got this like it was just another day at the office so here's that clip of Paul talking about Ronaldo the tunnel at Lisbon is quite short so you, you pretty much only had enough space for the two 1 to 11s to line up and then there's the wall but there was just enough space for me to be like the 12th man <laughs> right at the end of the line because I wanted to see out onto the field what was happening and it was the end of the, the ceremony and you could see the act going on on the pitch all the colours you could just about work out that the rail fans were to this side you could see the white and then just there through the doorway the red and white of Atletico, and then the trophy was sitting on the podium. And I was standing right behind Cristiano, and uh, without even realising it, it kind of took my breath. Yeah. And I went like that, and he just turned and looked over his shoulder and went, Paul, don't worry. Like that. And I thought, really, I'm not even playing. I'm not even playing. And he's telling me not to worry. I would pick up off what Paul said there, that there's this couple of quick things. I remember bumping into Paul at a game that I thought was highly significant in Carlo Ancelotti's first season and it was Espanyol, um, the other team in Barcelona and there's a big open uh, vista around the mixed zone and as Paul walked by, we, we, we sort of saw each other and he stopped and he, he introduced himself really in a, in a, in a very pleasant open way, I didn't, I wasn't wanted to haul him across and there was a lot of British journalists waiting for him so he stopped and just said hi just old fashioned in a way that I remember explaining on one of the interviews that when I went down to see John Collins at Monaco I was really stunned by it up at La Tour B, the training ground when you went in as a journalist who'd, who'd got permission to go in that day when you passed every staff member or every player they, they stopped and shook your hand bonjour uh, or enchanté uh, there was a policy of stopping and shaking hands and it's an old-fashioned thing to when you see somebody either you don't know or you you, you want to be respectful to. So that was and he, and he just said, "Oh yes, I, you know, I think I, I read your book or you know, let's stay in touch." Here's my phone number. That was a nice way to get to know somebody, not just sort of yeah, I'm I'm interested in another Brit abroad, which you know I welcomed. And and secondly, a thing that he he explained about Cristiano is something that because Cristiano Ronaldo, in my experience, is such a mixed picture. There's so many different things to say about him he has so many different sides to his personality if if there's been a bit of pigeonholing of him and, and if I've ever subconsciously been a part of that I, I like it when he's revealed as somebody with a side that's intelligent or funny or articulate and, and I often tell the story about the remarkable day that you know he he saw us with a caricature he saw a producer and I with a caricature of him laughed at it this was after he'd scored his I don't know whatever his 
maybe it was his 100th Champions League goal, and it was against one of the Moscow clubs at Bernabeu. And he came out, and there was some Russians stopped him for an interview, for an interview and then an autograph in the mix in the flash zone. Very privileged place, not mix zone, flash zone, where only TV companies that paid a lot of money, and he stopped, and he, he's handing the pen back to these autograph hunters with a camera from Russia. He sees the TV producer I'm withholding up a caricature that we've had done down in the centre of Madrid. And it's a, you know, caricatures are, didn't make him look ugly, but he has a laugh, takes the pen back off the Russian, turns to us and says, do you want me to, do you want me to sign that for you? I'm, I'm not that ugly, am I? And witty, and, he, and he, he plays on that wit again a couple of years later when I moved him in Monte Carlo at the, at the gala. And Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, that, that, that moment that the Richards have picked up about Paul being overtaken just for a split second by the moment of being in the tunnel in Lisbon and looking out and thinking, boy, I'm here as part of the team and wow, this is a Madrid derby in Lisbon. And I, th- I think what he was trying to convey was just a millisecond of, oh, wow. And the guy who goes, you know, the, the guys, the big performers who go cold at that moment, they, they don't get overcome. They get, they, 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 Michael Owen, I was interviewing recently for UEFA and, he said, I loved big moments because, not being arrogant, he said, just something happened to me. I closed down and I was ready to take my moments. And, and Ronaldo clearly has, has achieved, has done more still than one of England's Ballon d'Or winners and Michael Owen. And that moment, exactly as the Richards were saying, nah, Paul, don't worry, dude. Wow, that made good broadcasting. It was a tiny moment, but I think it was a huge insight into this personality who is you know, very often misunderstood, I think. Um, it was an interesting, it was another kind of magnifying glass moment, I think, as well, because I remember me and you being on that trip, Graham, and, and talking long and hard about how to approach it, but I think we decided part of our approach was doing the, the diary of the Champions League final, so actually the, the diary of the day, uh, the lead up, maybe even the lead up to it, and he, he talked us through how he prepared the team, you know, the, the the meetings, how he conveyed himself, you know, how he thought about his language. And it was just, again, it was just that forensic detail stopping, saying, break this down for us because, you know, we're on the outside looking in, what's it like where you are? And, and talk us through every step of the way. And I think maybe just the way Paul's mind's, mind works, he got that straight away and he was able to provide that level of detail which, which we were looking for. And I think it made for a really rich interview. I think he's a methodical, detailed man and he felt a great responsibility to Carlo Ancelotti. And I think that if, I'm, if my memory serves me correctly, one of the things he needed to speak about was preparation for set plays against. And while... You know, there's no question that as the ball's headed back in, it's Ika Casillas' misjudgment to come and try and compete with Diego Godin for the goal. I think the, the goal that Atleti lead with until the 90th minute sort of stems from the second or third play from a set play. And, and Paul, whether he said it on tape or didn't, Paul was slightly niggled by the fact that it looked like they were going to lose to their most bitter rivals, Barcelona included, I think, in Lisbon for the European Cup final and you know his relief when Sergio Ramos put the ball in the only spot that Thibaut Courtois at 6 foot 19 with his arms outstretched couldn't reach that he was the right witness testigo as they say in Spanish to 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 break down the day we were in a restaurant weren't we that was practically it was in Pasera Castellano and it was practically within sight of the Bernabeu but I can't speak for you Martin but in terms of steaks and how to hang them and cure them and, and serve them, you know, we, we each got a steak that was about the size of the Isle of Lewis, wasn't it? 
I've never seen a steak this big in my life. Uh, for some reason, we were struggling for a location. I can't remember why we ended up in that situation. The hotel he was staying in, because he was coming back to Madrid at that stage, the hotel he was staying in wanted to charge us three and a half grand for a meeting room. So we ended up finding this local steak restaurant. I can't remember the name of it, but it was an incredible place. I think we managed to get a private room. But it was still quite noisy. So if anyone listens back to that interview, you you hear the the chatter of the restaurant in the background. But it actually set quite a nice atmosphere, I think. And yeah, we were just presented with this steak, which was literally the size of the table. And that became a bit of a conversation point. And I, I think it almost kind of broke the ice, if you like, at the start of the interview, because it was just like, you know, how the hell are we going to get through this steak? Uh, Martin, Martin, combined with that and and the, the red wine, Paul looked at, he looked across the table and went, ah, these guys are serious. These guys are players. We're, we're on here. <laughs> it was a great interview, but more importantly, it was a great steak. So I think we'll just finish with Diane Yao, who's another one of our socios, who says, maybe as a Manchester United supporter myself, Terry Gibson's interview is one, especially what he had to say and how life is uh, is like there before Fergie came along and what he has to say of his time being part of the crazy gang. Uh, also liked Roberto De Matteo's and Gianluca Viali on his Sampdoria days. Uh, or maybe it's also special listening to someone winning a league title with a side not one would expect. Uh, and she says an honourable mention to Ramon Calderon. So why don't we just finish talking a little bit about Terry Gibson, uh, who I thought was a fantastic guest. It was a very long interview, that, Graham, from, from memory. It went, I think it went on for two to three hours, but I remember not being bored at any point which is quite quite rare when you're sitting in someone's company for that long such a rich life and career such a great talker and he just he just captivated us in, in that room for for two three hours i think we were hosted by um your and neil's friends at football manager terry turned up and he and his wife paula were on their way to see the book of mormon and uh, you're right it was it was a long one but i, th- I think i think terry as he proved by his self-published autobiography, he just he knew that he had to tell his story. Um, he didn't care whether or not there were publishers out there who wanted it. He found a way on the internet to probably spend two grand or something like that to get it done. I think he's an extremely observant, um, buoyant, interesting guy. And, and you both know that I have a deep fascination for those who've Grown up in London, I have a deep fascination for those who can tell um, stories of the, the way it was, which might mark me down as old or uh, a bit romantic. But things that stick in my mind is his brilliant description of that gym at Spurs training ground where the Friday kick-ups happened, the, the level of aggression, the level of skill on show uh, when, they had, when they were made by their drill sergeant, assistant trainer, to knock the ball at different heights of oblongs and triangles and circles and who could hack it, who couldn't. I'm talking about hacking the, the intensity of the Friday kick-ups and the, 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 the no-holds. We've heard that no-holds barred thing quite a lot, for example, in, in Terry Butcher's chat about the the Friday games between England and Scotland at, at Rangers. And I, and I want to just say something about Terry Butcher, that he was a marvellously friendly and warm man um, it, it was an interview with really big revelations for all of us when he talked about using the, the tapes sitting on the toilet, using sort of meditation tapes to get himself in a place where he could become 
you know, a ravenous, hungry, stop-at-nothing predator. That correlation to me was unusual. Since the interview, he's lost his son Christopher uh, to suicide, and, and Terry has, you know, been typically forthright and bold and important disseminator of information about PTSD and about what caused his son to take his life, and and he's one of our guests that I think really highly of Terry too, and, and Diana's been a, a great socio, a great friend to the to what we do both on Twitter and in the big interview and I'm glad that it's her question that's, that's come through and I thank her for it and I, I, what I would say about Terry is that he's got this sense of bewilderment that, that, that people and things in the world aren't straight aren't just don't just do what they're supposed to do so we'd already had you know Charlie Nick quite early on telling us how I, I don't like or trust Ron Atkinson and Charlie Nick telling us that he turned down the Manchester United move that was on the table for him because Ron un- unclasped a golden toothpick from a medallion round his neck and started picking away at the, to mention steak again, the steak dinner that he'd, he'd just had. And Charlie, now nah, this is not for me. And, and Terry talking about Ron Atkinson, you know, sending his deputy down to say, oh, Ron's on the phone fixing a transfer when they could see the golden ready brick ready glow of his office being lit up by the, the tanning machine when Ron should be taking training. And Terry calling out bullies, including fashioners. I think Terry is one of these guys who, who represents working class values in old football. He's a very good storyteller and it, it's also the truth that of the co-commentators that ex-footballers make, he is easily one of the most perspicacious and reliable when he describes a game or a player's position or tendencies or potential. And therefore it was it was a fun exercise, a fun guy to me and you both know that if I'm, if I'm allowed to, and, and you allow me or the guest is up for it, all the while in the knowledge that you can cut it down, I'd happily talk for a day. No, absolutely. Terry was a great guy and it was a great interview as well. So I think that's a good one to finish on. Um, that's all for today, folks. Thank you to everyone for sticking with us for 99 guests. Listen out for news on our 100th guest very, very soon. Just want to say a big thanks to your socios, as always, for continued contributions and support. And finally, thank you to Neil and Graham for your time. Thanks. Um, thank you, socios. Thank you, listeners who aren't socios. And I want to, seeing as we're looking back across all of our 99 episodes, I'd also like to thank you all the guys who aren't socios but who were involved in the Kickstarter campaign just after we um, started the podcast because without that we wouldn't have got past 20 episodes let alone 100 so if you Kickstarter guys are still listening thank you very much Graham I can't back that strongly enough at a point where we realised that the costs of travel and arranging we've never paid any guest but travel and accommodation and eating while we're on the road all this kind of stuff we were, we were going to go out of business so for the, the Kickstarter family to say, no, we back you and here's what we'll do about it, felt utterly extraordinary. And that has to apply to the people who, the companies that have sponsored us over over the time. And I, I, I won't stop um, without saying thank you to all our guests. Most of whom have come away having enjoyed it and subsequently have said people have spoken to me about that interview and they say they see me in a different, better light. That's the magic. I need to say to, to Neil and Martin, um, this was a good idea, and it's been extraordinary fun, and it's been also 
a time when I've learned a lot about our profession, I've learned a lot about people, um, and it's kept me thinking in a different way about the sport, and it, it would remain one of the pieces of work in my entire life that I'm most happy with, that I've had most enjoyment out of. But if we're stopping now, and we're doing testimonies, I, I cannot properly put into words what it feels like when people explain what listening to the big interview has done for them. From the most mundane Martin Compson texting or direct messaging over on Twitter about, you know, I'm walking my dog in the Hollywood Hills and this is great stuff, mate, and I didn't know who he was, to listeners who've said my commute is happier. My dog is fitter. I'm in the gym more. I earn my shirt. My shirt's better. But above all, there has been a huge number of listeners who say that the the conversations we bring them has brought them some mental stability, some mental peace, has helped them through desperate times in their lives. That's not everybody, but it is a large, and it feels to me, growing number. And the art, which I I knew nothing about before uh, Martin and Neil suggested to me that we should do this together the art of putting long conversations where hopefully you become absorbed into people's ears so that they've got good voices rather than maybe negative voices in their head is something that I'll be forever grateful for uh, you two suggesting we should try